Welcome to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. The hit cast offers a weekly look at Hollywood from a conservative point of view. Sick of media bias infecting Hollywood headlines? Tired of stars insulting your views? Hit has your back. Now, here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to episode 54 of the Hollywood and Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. This week we're speaking with Dave Taylor about both a year in entertainment and also looking ahead to 2018. He's a tech guru and the founder of both GoFatherhood.com and AskDaveTaylor.com. He's also a really good chum of mine. This won't be your typical headcast interview, I promise. This week's show is sponsored by BuzzFeed, your go-to source for stories blaming white people for, well, everything. But before my chat with Dave Taylor, I wanted to recap 2017 in entertainment myself. It's going to be a brief course, but it's sort of a, uh, an overview of what was good and what was not so good about the year. First, the good stuff. Get Out. Boy, that movie lived up to the hype and how. And also, talk about a surprise. Comedian Jordan Peele uncorking a terrific horror movie. <laughs> Go for it, Jordan. Just, I love it. Good film. And it's inspiring to see someone take the horror genre seriously. I can't wait to see what else he's got in store. And of course, there's Wonder Woman, a movie which I feared would be another Ghostbusters debacle where the media rallied around it, the film was mediocre or worse, and it became a culture war issue. You know what? It wasn't. It was just a fine piece of entertainment. Gal Gadot was absolutely terrific. She's beautiful. She's talented. I'm looking forward to seeing what she does in the future if the right roles come her way. That was a real pleasant surprise. And of course, there's Netflix being Netflix, just serving up absolutely oodles of content day after day, week after week. I have to confess, I'm one of those weird people who checks out the what's new on Netflix almost every day. It's kind of an obsession of mine. But the bottom line is they keep putting some intriguing old movies, some good TV shows, but more importantly, their original content. And it isn't always 100% a hit. There's been some misses for sure. Uh, The movie Bright wasn't as bad as they said it was, but boy, it was kind of close at times. And the dialogue from that Will Smith movie was atrocious. But I just love their business model. It's so darn cheap. There's so much good content out there. And I just spend most of 2017 being guilty for all the stuff I missed. And now the bad stuff. And there was a lot of it. And again, this is only a partial list. Look at the PC restrictions in our culture. Well, they're only getting worse. I thought the most really terrible trend, which I don't think is stopping as we veer into 2018, is the whole, well, if you're white, you can't tell a black story. If you're a guy, you can't tell the story of a woman. That kind of stuff. Unbelievable. That should be shouted down from the rooftops. It's terrible. Since when are such restrictions part of art and part of the artistic experience? They never should be, but they're starting to be that way right now. Let's hope this gets snuffed out quick. And uh, that would be one of the best things that 2018 can accomplish. But I don't know. I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Also, of course, Harvey Wood, Harvey Weinstein, the scandal that broke another dozen scandals. Sexual harassment in Hollywood is real. It's all over the place. It's horrifying. And of course, I think it's going to happen less and less now that people like Harvey Weinstein have been called out. But we shall see how things go forth. Will more and more people speak out? Or will they go to award shows dressed in black and say, well, that's enough commitment to me. I can go back to my day job and not report on the things I'm hearing and seeing behind the scenes. And then there's The Last Jedi, which critics loved, a lot of people didn't like, and I'm in, I'm in that camp. I was really let down by the film. I didn't think it was a debacle, but boy, you know, I thought The uh, Let the Force Awakens did a pretty good job of restarting the franchise and setting that ball in motion. 
This one dropped that ball pretty badly, too. It's the kind of film you think about it and think about it. It just keeps getting worse. And I'm just shocked that Ryan Johnson, who seemed like a smart young fellow who could really do something artistically sound with the franchise, fumbled it as badly as he did. Another horrifying trend of the year is the fact that free speech has been under attack on campuses nationwide, and stars are saying next to nothing, if not nothing, about it. And of course, I covered that specifically when I got the chance to speak to Josh Brolin, the excellent actor who was in the movie Only the Brave earlier this year. We talked in person. I asked him directly about free speech on campus. He didn't know what I was talking about. And that's pretty typical, I think, of what's going on in Hollywood. They have no idea whether it's the, it's the all-news blackout that's going on about the subject. You can only find it on conservative outlets most times or just not caring enough about it in general. I don't know what's going on with Berlin. I hope he understands a little bit more about it. I hope I piqued his curiosity. But the fact that more stars are not speaking out about the issue is bad, plain and simple. And finally, I want to talk a little bit about Jimmy Kimmel, who went from a cherubic late-night show host to a scold. He's the nation's conscience on late-night TV. He's not funny anymore. He's hectoring, and he's mean-spirited. What a terrible change. You know, I feel badly for the the, the, uh, the health problems that his son has endured in recent months. I wish him only the best in health. But using that as a soapbox to kind of spit out Democratic talking points, shutting down your opponent, calling people like Paul Ryan soulless, hey, Jimmy Kimmel, wise up. I hope you're better in 2018. If you're not, I think you're going to slowly but surely lose a lot of your audience. And that brings us to 2018. What's coming next? Boy, I don't know. I kind of got out of the prediction business when Donald Trump won the White House. I didn't see that coming with a lot of other people. Just got caught flat-footed. And it's just the way the culture is changing so dramatically from day to day, week to week. My crystal ball is pretty darn fuzzy. One thing I will say, though, I don't see anything stopping the liberal media bias that's happening when it comes to Hollywood news coverage. And you can get a respite from it right here. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to my daddy's podcast. And now, here's the celebrity tweet of the week. This week's honor goes to Chelsea Handler, and I kind of think she's going to win this award a time or two when we head into 2018. The future full-time activist, she's kind of shedding a bit too much about her personal life in her latest tweet. Here we go. I just can't believe how stupid our current president is. Every night I come home, mostly S-faced, and think, wow, he really is that stupid and sober. To paraphrase Andy Samberg, never stop, never stopping, Chelsea. You're listening to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. My hit tip of the week is Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. This lo-fi horror affair is perfect for fans who are sick of the genre's tropes or actually love them to death and don't mind seeing them mocked in all their glory. It's a pseudo-documentary that peels back the curtain on a budding serial killer. This film came out before the whole meta-craze in current times, but in some ways was a bit prescient in the way it's uh, kind of the wink-wink storytelling mode. It's funny at times, it's a little bit chilling, and I just thought it was super clever. Behind the Mask is available right now on Amazon Prime. If you haven't been to HollywoodInToto.com, I highly recommend it. Of course, I'm a bit biased, but lots of fun stuff on the site these days. Most recently, I've got a story which I think is going to be an absolute blast. Seven stars who Trump absolutely broke in 2017. Yes, it's another recap piece, but, you know, tis the season. Why not? 
But I think my favorite part of this list is that one of the people on the list actually admitted to being broken directly by Donald Trump. I thought that was just a hoot. And I think you can check it out and maybe see if you agree or maybe add some other names, who celebrities who you think were broken in some way or another with the election of Donald Trump. Nobody puts baby in a corner. This is 40 stories of sheer adventure, my friend. What's your favorite scary movie? You will believe that a man can fly. That's right. We're talking about all these terrible franchises and more on The Franchise. franchise. (laughs) Co-hosted by Daniel Ehrenberg and... Henry Papali, folks. That's right. So uh, check it out. Your boy Christian Toto from the Hollywood and Toto podcast has been on an episode about, yeah, baby, yeah. Yeah. Austin Powers, international man of mystery. That's right. And if you feel lucky, punks, you should tune into our show, too. That's right. The franchise on iTunes. Now let's get to my chat with Dave Taylor. He's the editor of GoFatherhood.com, a daddy blog, and also Ask Dave Taylor a site that lets people ask questions about the latest tech gear because Dave knows technology better than just about anybody. He also oversees his very cool, very clever YouTube channel where he breaks down the latest tech goodies in smart, common-sense fashion. I think you'll appreciate it. He also happens to be a pretty close friend of mine and a good guy to boot. And I wanted to end the year by talking to him about the year in entertainment and what we might see in 2018. He's got a really interesting perspective on things. You know, we both study pop culture. We're both sort of enmeshed in this world, but... He has a very different spin on uh, what's going on and what happened the last year. I think you'll enjoy it. It's a conversation, though, not an interview. It's not what you typically hear at the HitCast, but I think you're going to have a good time. Hope you like it. Well, Dave, this is not exactly a typical interview, in part because you and I know each other pretty well. And, uh, and also, I wanted to have more of a conversation. I wanted to talk about the year that has gone by and kind of peek ahead into 2018. So I thought the best way to start is maybe looking back at 2017 and what really stood out for you about movies, TV shows, the streaming revolution. What, what do you think about when you think about the last 12 months of pop culture? Well, in, let's say cinematically, I think we've had a pretty strong year. There's been some really good, interesting films. And I think that we're seeing in the cinema that we're wrestling with big cultural issues and issues of identity and who is heroic and not and trying to understand multiple sides of issues and such. Not always successfully, mm-hmm. but I think we also have to acknowledge that this has also been the hashtag Me Too year and that the industry itself of entertainment and media is really going through a a real soul searching, a real trying to reinvent itself. And honestly, I feel it's pretty hard to watch. It's pretty ugly. Yeah, I think what's interesting to me is I'm grateful it's happening. I wasn't aware it was this bad. But I'm very curious what happens next because I think there could be different paths. I think some of them could be very positive. And I think some of them can be destructive in a way. I mean, I, you know, I think on the downside, you've got well, what if people are innocent and are blamed and their careers are ruined? And then on the other side, there's the what it will really change within the industry. I mean, I think that getting more women in positions of power is always a good thing. But do we do sort of a bean counter? We have to have X amount of slots open for a woman to you know be in this studio, be this executive? Or is it kind of more, hey, let's just accept 
everyone on equal terms and the most talented people will be given the most important slots. Yeah, well, that's that's the quota argument. And it's a tough one because I think the arguments on both sides are quite legitimate. Mm -hmm. You know, if you are a minority group for whatever you want to define minority and you have less opportunities, then the system has to compensate. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, promoting someone because they have a skin color or a particular disability or because they have a certain ancestry or history unto itself isn't a good reason to promote someone. I mean, my desire for anything I ever do or anyone I ever interact with is that they're good at something because of the passion and enthusiasm and hopefully talent that they bring to it, whether it's literally a craftsman doing woodwork for my home or someone making a movie that I'm going to plop down some money and give some of my time and sit in a theater and watch. Yeah. You know, when Patty Jenkins came out with Wonder Woman earlier this year, I thought, oh my goodness, let's give her every other superhero movie. She she gets it. She knows how to do it and do it right. At the same time, I think there are other franchises that, well, we need to have the first female director for X or Y. And I it kind of just it irks me a bit because I don't think that's the way it should be done. And I have to say I have to go I have to reach all the way back into 2016 with the Ghostbusters film where there was this real pressure in journalism circles where you had to love that movie, embrace it. And yes, there were some goofballs like, oh, I don't want my you know Ghostbusters to be female, and I think that was a pretty silly argument. But when that first trailer dropped and it was an absolute stink bomb, I think everything went south after that. And I think people were in a way, denying that and not, not sort of acknowledging just how bad that trailer was and how the, all the potential momentum for that film really got scuttled by that really bad, laugh-free situation. Yeah, well, we're going to see the same sort of dilemma with Ocean's 8, you know, because yeah. to some extent it's a one-trick pony. It's let's take this really great reboot of what was a very entertaining Frank Sinatra movie and let's just recast all the bad guys as women. Hey, what a cool hook. Yeah. And part of me is, is like, bring it on. Let's see. This could be fantastic. On the other hand, if that's its only reason for existing, then that's not much to hang a movie on. And it might be a fail before it even hits the theater. Yeah. And that's the real risk there. If they're going to make it, that's the selling point as opposed to, hey, this is a really great story. Oh, yeah. By the way, there's like cool actresses here, too. So, yeah, it's an interesting and I. I have to say, as someone, you and I have watched pop culture for a long time now, this whole Me Too movement and the Weinstein scandal, there's never anything even remotely close to it as far as the impact and the devastation and the emotional uh, shipwreck that we've seen. So I don't know even how to look into the future. I can't, you know, my crystal ball is about as cloudy as can be because where we go from here is anyone's guess. And I, I'm super curious about the upcoming Oscars telecast because you know, now we're talking about having actresses dressed in all black as a you know, sort of a solidarity movement. But, you know, to me, that's like that whole virtue signaling thing. Well, the real solidarity was actually speaking up and, and working behind the scenes to, to out these guys, these predators before this happened. So I don't know, I'm just really conflicted. I just I think the Oscars could be a complete train wreck just from that perspective alone. Yeah, well, it's it's a really interesting year. And, you know, to sort of bring it back a little bit more, I'm really curious to see what films will have come out in 2018 or maybe series on Netflix or something that address this situation, both from the perspective of someone who's a monster and is just, you know, thoroughly doesn't deserve to have a position of power because he's abusing it. 
and from the position of a bunch of women who get together and falsely accuse someone. Mm -hmm. Now, we've seen both of those cinematically in different contexts, but I think to sort of put the mirror back on Hollywood and see all the seaminess and all the dirt and all the money and all the influence that causes is going to be really interesting and will bring up hopefully other facets of the conversation. Because I think right now we are in a very thin ice on a cold day sort of scenario where even as having this conversation, I can imagine there are some people in the um, listening audience that are getting really upset right now because we're so insensitive and we're not really understanding the pain and anguish of these women, which is not at all what either of us are saying. Right. Well, actually, that brings up an interesting point I was going to mention is that Matt Damon is dancing on that thin ice right now. He's given interview after interview that's been examined, reinterpreted. Uh, Minnie Driver has lashed out at him. They used to, they work together on uh, Goodwill Hunting. And she said, basically, it's time for women to speak. Well, I, boy, I don't like that whole kind of part of the conversation where certain people can't speak. Listen, Matt Damon may be tone deaf in some ways, and that's understandable, and we can certainly criticize him for it. But once you say so-and-so can speak, it's other people can speak. I, I, I feel uncomfortable with that. I mean, I want a mini driver to speak out. I want to hear what she has to say, and I want to hear what people like her have endured in the industry. Great. Let's magnify those voices. But I don't think that Matt Damon, just on paper, shouldn't be heard. If he says something clunky, that's a different story, which I think he's kind of tiptoed around. But I, I, I'm, you know, quick point in what you mentioned, those particular angles, sort of looking at a, the predator from his perspective, or even looking at the people who maybe blew the whistle on someone for their own, uh, you know, unfortunate uh, needs. That's a story that will not be told the next couple of years. You will not get that approved in Hollywood because that's going to be the kind of thing that will be shouted down instantly by the social media crowd. And I, and again, that's another bad thing where I think all voices should be heard and all sides should be heard. And if we kind of only want certain stories to come out of this terrible situation, then I think that's doing us all a disservice. Yeah, well, I mean, it'll be interesting to see because I also will say that I think we are absolutely in a golden era of media, that there's so many channels and so many outlets, and we're seeing both movies and series on so many different streaming series, for example, that there's just, there's a lot of space for different voices and different perspectives. And if you're an indie filmmaker, then your vision of success might be, hey, we once played for one night in a movie theater, and that was exciting. Yeah, that's interesting. And that's one of the good things about content. Now, you know, I think that the 80s renaissance continues because it was the last decade where we had less and less ways to distract us. The internet wasn't here. We had more things to kind of look toward and that would unify us as a culture. Conversely, I think you can have all those different voices and all those different perspectives and they can draw a small but good enough crowd where they can continue. You know, back in the day, Johnny Carson didn't get political left or right because he didn't he couldn't risk it. He couldn't risk losing half the audience. But today, Stephen Colbert is doing quite nicely by angering conservatives and appeasing liberals, and he's fine. He's he's got enough of a crowd where he can continue to do that. And that's a lot of these niche voices maybe don't have mainstream appeal, but they get enough of a crowd where they can sustain, they they can be successful. And then people in general have more things to hear and read about. So I think that's a good thing. Uh, real quickly, I just wrapped up my best movie of the year list, and I was singing the praises of Get Out. Are there any films that you love that maybe aren't getting enough attention these days that you think maybe deserve to be, if not in the Oscar conversation, 
in maybe just the overall pop culture conversation? Um, I think we had a lot of really good movies. I have to say I found Wonder Woman highly entertaining. Me too. Um, Me too. I thought that the sort of interpretation of a superhero who happens to be female was terrific. Um, I loved Dunkirk, though I have to admit that while I was watching it, it took me a while to understand that it was yet another Chris Nolan playing with time. <laughs> um, you, you know what I'm talking about. No spoilers, but yeah. there's three simultaneous storylines going on that happen at different speeds. And it takes you a, a while to sort of wrap your head around that. Um, I really enjoyed the new Star Wars movie, and I adored Blade Runner 2049. I thought it was one of the very best sequels I've ever seen because it made me go back and question the original film and the, and the you know, sort of motivations of characters in the original film, which is a huge accomplishment. That was really something. Yeah, you know, I didn't like Blade Runner 2049 as much as you, but I definitely appreciated how well it integrated into that first movie. And, and for all the reasons you just mentioned, that it enriches the for lack of a better phrase, franchise. There's only two films, and I don't know if it goes anywhere from here because it wasn't successful at the box office. But yeah, it, it, from that perspective, it was an absolute home run and visually about as compelling as anything you'll see all year. Yeah, um, so let's see. Keep going down the list further. I enjoyed Get Out. I felt it was predictable, and I think they could have taken more chances with it. Mm -hmm. uh, it felt a little bit like a Stepford Wives remake that just had racial overtones. Um, but still highly watchable. And um, horror is such a low-budget genre that I love when they actually take risks instead of it being this sort of generic morality tale of high school children who are too busy having sex and therefore have to die. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Thanks, thank goodness for The Cabin in the Woods, which plays games with that whole genre. Yeah. Uh, and another one in that, <clears throat> I don't know whether it's horror or romance or what, but... You know, we talked before, I really liked The Shape of Water. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't know that it's one I'm going to watch a lot, but it was just so extraordinarily imaginative. And part of what I want to see in a film is I want to see a film that just blows me away because I would never have thought of that. And, you know, same way, a film that really wasn't successful in a lot of other ways, but Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets was so much more imaginative than any of the big tentpole sci-fi films. You know, you look at the um, casino planet in Star Wars versus any of the planets in Valerian, and it's clear which one wins the award for most crazy imagination. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Even though it wasn't successful, I, I did appreciate the ambition behind it. And uh, I have one quick note on Get Out. One of the things I liked about it so much is I love horror, but a lot of times a horror movie fan must endure kind of in different acting or some of the script is kind of wanting or just the overall craftsmanship is not there. And I thought the director, Jordan Peele, made a very tight movie where you could just sense that there was a lot of skill behind the camera. And I really appreciated that. So I, I just from that point of view, I'm very curious to see what he does next. And I have, uh, didn't like, oh my God, the, the name is escaping me. He and uh, his partner from uh, Key and Peele made that cat movie. Was it Keanu? If I'm, I'm yes, Keanu. I thought that was just, to me, that's the kind of movie you make after your career has failed. You've got three flops in a row and you're struggling and you're fighting with your co colleague and you spit out one movie for contractual obligations. That's the movie. So I was so shocked when they made that movie after their big uh, Comedy Central hit. But boy, Jordan Peele won me back with Get Out. Uh, let's look maybe ahead to 2018. 
shocked there's more superhero movies coming our way. But what, what, either on Netflix or, or on big screen, what, what are you kind of chomping at the bit to see? Uh, um, well, hmm. I have to do my homework now <laughs> to remember what films are coming up next year. But there's a lot of really dark content. So I've been um, watching, I've been sort of previewing some series that are coming out in January and February. And it's all pretty grim stuff. And I wonder how much that reflects the sort of prevailing feel of where we are mm -hmm. uh, a year into Trump's presidency and with the world political situation and with the Me Too movement and everything. I mean, there are definitely times when I look at the local paper and I feel like everything's nonstop bad news. It's all grim and depressing. And, you know, as humanity, we're sort of doomed. And then I'll be reminded that, oh, yeah, actually, there are good people, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an interesting point, because I think the tendency is to run with that, to be grim, to be dark, to be introspective. But there's also a chance that a light, fluffy, airy, whimsical X, Y, or Z can absolutely score right now, because we're so desperate for that escapism that maybe that show or movie or musical or anything will be the sort of the tonic. So I'll be very curious to see how audiences react. I, I you know, I, I could name check Black Panther and Avengers Affinity War. What I'm really curious about is how audiences will respond to the films. I mean, to me, the, you know, the box office was down pretty dramatically in 2017, notwithstanding it and Star Wars. Are we losing that sense? Are we losing that habit of going to the movies? Because I talk to a lot of people kind of anecdotally, and they just say, oh, yeah, I don't go to the movies as much anymore. And sometimes it's politically based, and sometimes it's just like, is what it is, that we have a different options. It's not as compelling to go to the movies. And I think that's a real significant problem for the industry if more and more people, sort of the casual fans, are just checking out. Because I think you and I will be there for Star Wars 9, and you know we're in. But I think you need more than that, right? <laughs> yeah, well, and I think part of um, – well, actually, let's hold off on the question of what's happening in the movie theater because I want to just mention a couple of 2018 films that I think look pretty exciting. Okay. Um, I'm excited for Ready Player One. It has a stellar production cast, and the book was so super entertaining that I'm really hoping they can deliver. Mm-hmm. And similarly, A Wrinkle in Time looks like it could be a really good match for family fare that's still thoughtful and just so fanciful. I mean, the trailers that I've seen are so open and bright and active. You know, it's not that grim, dark, you know, even like Black Panther. I'm excited for that one. But I have a feeling that's going to be a pretty dark movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The, uh, the movie Wonder, which came out a few weeks ago. I, the syndicate me was like, oh, that's just going to get lost in the sea of Oscar nominees and all the big budget movies. And it made more than $100 million. So there is an audience still out there for sort of family-friendly, thoughtful, interesting tales. And the Wrinkle in Time project may kind of fit into that. But uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I, I used to think I had a pretty good radar for what will succeed and what won't. And I, I'm, I feel shakier than ever. I think the, the, the industry and the audience is really hard to predict. And uh, what seems like a lock is no longer a lock. And I think there's going to be many more of these King Arthur-sized movies where it's a franchise in training or it's a sequel that people allegedly want and no one wants it. And I'm going to point yeah. to that Pacific Rim sequel, which I th I'm going to guess is coming out in 2018. I'm not sure of the release date, but it's coming soon. I just don't, I don't sense any enthusiasm for anything Pacific Rim-ish. And uh, I really wonder if that's going to be a colossal flop. We'll see. 
Yeah, I, I suspect you're right. And I'll throw out another one that I think is going to just fall absolutely flat is Mary Poppins Returns. Mm, that's a tricky one, too. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, Mary Poppins was such a sweet movie other than Dick Van Dyke, who was horrible in it. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot stand his English accent. It's horrible, really genuinely horrible. But rebooting it now where it's a nanny who fixes a dysfunctional family with magic. Ugh. I'm sure that's going to play well, even on the coasts, let alone in the Midwest. Yeah. Nanny McPhee pulled off something kind of similar. But uh, it but doesn't have the baggage of Mary Poppins. Right? I think you, you walk into a Mary Poppins movie with certain expectations, and if you get a very different product, there could be a real problem there. I agree with that. Uh, right. One of the reasons why I wanted to chat with you about 2018 is, and I want to kind of uh, poke fun at a couple of different tech things. Uh, Dave Taylor is not just an author and not just a film critic, but he runs AskDaveTaylor.com. It's a great site if you have any sort of tech questions. He also has a YouTube channel that does a lot of similar stuff, great reviews, really good content. But he also kind of surveys the tech scene when it comes to, you know, sort of the intersection between entertainment, pop culture, and technology. And while I predicted boldly that 3D TV sets would be a crash and burn, and so with the curved TV sets, what's is there anything on the horizon that you think may be successful that maybe maybe even change the way we consume content? Um, I think you know much of technology actually is about incremental updates. So you know more and more accessible 4K television, and of course, no one's buying 4K players. So that's all going to be about streaming, which is all going to be about bigger pipelines coming into your home. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm poised to be heading to the Consumer Electronics Show, and I know we'll see 8K television. And the, <laughs> you know, and the classic question is going to be why. Yeah. You know, the bigger you have the resolution, the bigger you can make the TV. But at some point, I don't really want my entire wall to be this 500-inch television. Because then I'm really conscious of how much drivel there is on, in media. <laughs> well, that's funny. I mean, the fact that they're actually talking about 8K when 4K just hasn't cracked through yet is amazing. It seems like a disconnect. And like you said, only the the purest of the purebred tech gurus are going to want to go for that, but everyone else won't. What's Where do we stand in 4K right now? I mean, I bought a set. It happens to be 4K. I have almost no 4K content. Once in a blue moon, if someone comes to my house, I'll, I'll put on a YouTube channel that has 4K, and they go, ooh, look at this. And that lasts for about five minutes, and I go back to regular TV watching. Well, any sort of sense of where we are or where it's headed, or is this going to be another curb TV set for 2019 or so? Um, I think the industry has implemented it really alarmingly badly because 4K refers to the screen resolution, but the more interesting variable is actually the definition or the sort of depth of color. And so there's UHD, and you need both of those to be able to play, for example, a 4K disc. Mm -hmm. And now there's UHD 10 plus, which I don't even know why it's called 10 plus, but it's yet another standard all hidden within this buzzword of 4K. And so what we're finding is we're finding people are buying 4K TVs and then can't actually enjoy true 4K content. And, you know, the industry is so eager to sell stuff that they are often anti-consumer, in my opinion. And I think that's kind of where we are here, is a 1080p playing good HD quality content can be crisp and gorgeous. It doesn't need to be more than that for you to really get good enjoyment. And at some level, it just also becomes 
what's the point? You know, if I'm watching, I don't know, The Born Identity, a great movie, good action, you know, well, well filmed. Is it going to be more enjoyable because it looks like a photo and I can sit nine inches from my screen and it's still, <laughs> you know, I mean, I just feel like there's this sort of this, um, I don't know, rush to less and less benefit. There's a cleaner, neater phrase for that <laughs> that I can't come right now. <laughs> um, but, you know, sort of continuing that thread, I do think we're going to see more and more personal options. So we're going to see regular prescription glasses that also actually give you the ability to secretly be watching a screen that appears to be like a 90-inch HD screen 10 feet from your face but is actually images being shown directly onto the glass of your glasses mm. or sunglasses or the windshield of your car. I mean, you know, we're really getting into a world where we're not far away from these sort of magic screens just showing up in thin air and no one else can see them. Yeah, I think a few years ago, boy, it might have been Minority Report, the Spielberg film that was one of the first that had that sort of floating in air images or screens you can kind of wipe away. I, I mean... That's what we've been sort of watching on movies. I think even the uh, the Iron Man films and the Avengers use that, but maybe it's going to come true. Uh, real quickly, just take us behind the scenes. You're about to cover the uh, that big uh, conference. You've done it before. Do you get inundated with with emails and pitches and stuff in the days before it happens, or what's it, what's it like to be a reporter covering that uh, the CES event? Um, it's pretty mad, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Last year, I think there were 8,000 companies exhibiting. So, you know, when you get to a company like a Sony or a Microsoft or someone like that, they will literally have a booth that's larger than a football field just for their own product line. Because for them, dropping a couple of million dollars to exhibit at this show, this is the one that's going to start all the balls rolling down all the different hills Mm -hmm. for the entire year. And so it's really pretty whack. Um, I'm already seeing um, we're weeks and weeks out and I'm seeing 50 to 100 emails a day just from companies saying, hey, please stop by our booth. We'll even give you free stuff just to motivate you to stop by. (laughs) Well, that's That's my next question. What are some of the wackier things that you've seen on the floor that say to get your attention? I mean, is it sort of girls in crazy outfits or is it giveaway treats what what's how how kind of insane does it get uh well i've seen a lot of celebrities that companies will hire i remember a couple of years ago <laughs> it was a company and i can't even tell you the name of the company it was a chinese <laughs> robotics company and they hired justin bieber to come and hang out at their booth for an hour and it was an absolute mob scene it was total madness people were going crazy and yet no one had a clue what their product was. No one ever connected this guy with their product. And I think as soon as he left, everyone left. So that kind of stuff becomes surprisingly common. Yeah, um, Monster, the cable yeah. and speaker company, will you know they will pay for someone like Earth, Wind and Fire to give a concert, and then they will just invite their own VIPs. And so you figure they're probably dropping a million dollars of for an evening event. And does that help them sell more speakers? I don't know. You know, that maybe the jury might be out on that one. But, yeah, it's it's pretty fascinating. And the number of companies that ship thousands of products so they can give them to people that visit. I mean, I just got an email a couple hours ago from a company that said, 
If you stop by our booth, we have a bag for you that has cables and batteries and chargers and everything you need for your new phone. Just stop by. We just want to give you this stuff. And it's just like, and then I have to carry it. <laughs> Listen, I'll be your assistant this year, and I can help out, and I'll, I'll cut a, a, nick a nick a bag or two from you. Well, you know, it actually it would make me think as a marketer, you'd probably want to hire a celebrity who is big but not big, big. And also, if there's a way to get that celebrity to be somehow connected to the product, like maybe like one of the actors from Office Space, if there was a technology about a new you know, PC network, a notebook computer, I mean – you, you, I mean, you think you'd try to integrate it better, but it sounds like these companies have just lots of money. They're willing to throw it around, and they're often not willing to think about things through. I think it varies by company. There are definitely some companies that are trying to come up with that thematic tie-in, but um, people that go and attend a conference like that are no different from the rest of us that they are – you know, they'll say that they're really pragmatic and things don't influence them. But if there's a celebrity that they can glad hand or they can go and see a concert and they're a really small venue, then they'll do it. I mean, I have a funny story. A couple of years ago, I was at CES and I was at this company's event and there was a band playing and I'm texting my daughter who was 17 at the time. And so I'm telling her there's this band playing and I've never heard of them. And she's like, well, who is it? And I said, it's called Bare Naked Ladies or something. <laughs> and she totally freaked out because to her, this was like a hundred dollar a person ticket for a concert. And we're standing around not even really paying attention to the band uh -huh. because we were interested in the products because that's why we had gone to that party in the first place. That's funny. My quick bare naked story is that uh, I guess my boys were about three and five at the time, maybe even a smidge younger, but they were on the radio one time. I said, hey, guys. You know what the name of this band is? And they go, what? And I go, Bare Naked Ladies. They giggled for about a half an hour, so I'll never forget that. <laughs> uh, real quickly, my favorite, and I think they're called tchotchkes, sort of the giveaways that studios give you for XY, whatever you're doing. I went to a movie junket for the movie called The In-Laws. was a remake with Michael Douglas and Albert Brooks. And my favorite tchotchke of all, since all my, since all my movie coverage was what I got there, it was a red thong. Because <laughs> that was what one of the characters wore that. What has been the... Uh, nuttiest uh, giveaway you've gotten over the years? Um, well, first off, I just want to say thank you <laughs> on behalf of the entire populace for not posting pictures of you wearing it. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and crazy giveaways. I mean, companies will do anything to get attention. I've gotten things like condoms where the wrapper has a company name on it and oh, stuff. And, wow. and you're just like... <sighs> Well, if this is associated with your product, maybe, but even then, it's probably an awkward at best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Dave, so. I want to wrap things up, and I want to do it by kind of maybe kind of taking your temperature from a pop culture perspective. You cover it from a bunch of different ways. When you think ahead to where we are now, where we're getting in the near future, are you kind of excited by what's coming next? Are you curious are you afraid what what sort of what's this that you're sort of feeling about where we're heading as a from a pop culture point of view um that's a good question actually he says stalling slightly to think about it <laughs> <laughs> i think that we have sort of multiple tensions at the same time and one of which is something's new let's do it versus something actually makes sense and is going to make our culture better or make us better or happier or healthier. Mm -hmm. And those often are opposing forces. And so, for example, now we're seeing the Facebook executive team saying, 
Well, yeah, if you just read Facebook for hours every single day, it will make you more depressed. You probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> and it's just like everyone who does social media already knows that and they already understand this. Um, but I think just sort of from a sheer technological perspective and, and same even just if we go to movies or, or episodic TV or something is just because you can make it just because you can get approval and raise the money doesn't mean it's something that's worth making and it doesn't mean it's something worth sharing. And, you know, it's been really interesting so far on the political spectrum. We haven't seen a lot of well-funded, conservative-oriented movies. But honestly, I can really see a resurgence of things like Birth of a Nation and really seeing us as a culture wrestle with old-school, new-school values in a way that can be quite inflammatory. And, you know, I can't say that I'm super excited about that happening. And yet we do need to have that debate. We do need to understand who are we as a nation? Who are we as a, as a civilization? Who are we as humans? And entertainment, I think, is one of the best places for us to actually look at some different perspectives. So I am hopeful that we can do that well and fearful that we won't and that it will end up being more divisive. Yeah, I think the problem with that approach, and I like it, is that you may have to kind of bury it in sci-fi or horror because I think if it's a straight-on tackling of our values then and now in the future, I think it's going to be too hot. I think I think social media will go crazy. But I think if you kind of embed it in a Walking Dead-type story, then I think we can kind of have those conversations from a safer spot. Uh, my big fear when it comes looking ahead to content is something that we've kind of seen teased about with that HBO show Confederate, which is supposedly, unless it goes away, and it's always a chance it might go away, looking at what if slavery never went away, what would America look like today? And there's this, there's this feeling in our culture, and I'm a conservative, it's coming from the left from my perspective, where only certain people can tell certain stories. And I kind of hinted at this with the mini driver saying to Matt Damon, hey, let the women speak now. You know, Catherine Bigelow made the movie Detroit earlier this year, and uh, there are a lot of people criticizing the movie because she's a white person telling a mostly black story. And thinking, well, she's an Oscar winner, she's a great filmmaker, why can't she tell this story? Assuming she does all her research and understands where the story is, the context, and things like that. That's, you know, a storyteller should be doing all that homework, but... I just get this feeling that we're as even though the voices are getting split up and we're getting sort of more niche opportunities and content, which is good. I get the sense that only certain people can tell certain stories, and I, I think that really limits our speech and limits our creativity. So I, I hope that I hope that reverses course, or maybe it gets exposed for what it is as the uh, 2018 goes near. But uh, well, Dave, thank you so much. I, uh, I'm glad you're able to kind of pick your brain on these things. Of course, Dave is uh, the film critic. And you can find his work at GoFatherhood.com, along with some thoughts on being a dad. He is the founder of AskDaveTaylor.com, a great place to check out all your tech questions. He's got the answers for you. You can check out his YouTube channel where he reviews the latest and greatest tech gadgets and gives you honest feedback of what's good and what's not. And uh, we look forward to your insights on CES and maybe some more movie reviews down the road. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Christian. Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out HollywoodandToto.com for both the show notes and, of course, the latest entertainment news. Please follow me at Twitter at HollywoodandToto. And we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at iTunes. See you next week. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. 
Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. You know what this is? A commercial? Right, and you know what that means. <gasps> Time for a snack? Wrong. I want you to do some heart-healthy exercise. Yes, you! Try some seated leg extensions right now. Just lift each leg up and extend it straight one at a time, six to eight times. I can do that. Yes, you can. Remember, every commercial is a chance to sneak in heart-healthy activity. Visit findexerciseanywhere.com and speak with your doctor to learn more about the risks of heart failure.